a baseball game or a sporting event. And when you've gone to that uh, sporting event, usually they'll play games on the Jumbotron out there. And one of the games that they play at baseball games is they'll get a contestant out of the stands and they'll bring them down there. And one of the games that they play is they get those three hats. You know what I'm talking about? They get the three hats and they take the ball and they put a ball in the hat and then they like move them and shuffle them. And everybody's supposed to figure out what they are. And that contestant is supposed to follow the ball and tell at the end of that under which hat the ball is in. And the hats are usually labeled one, two, or three. What, what usually happens right at the end when those hats start slowing down and they start coming to a standstill, what usually happens? Everybody in the crowd starts what? Yelling, shouting, screaming, three, two, three, one, two, all over the whole stadium. And it's kind of fun. Next time that happens, just look at the contestant for a moment. That contestant is like, their eyes are all bugged out. They have lost the capacity to even think in that moment. It's like they don't know. You know there's only three choices. One, two, or three, but most of the time they're like, uh, uh. And I think the reason why they're so confused is because they have all these different voices that are shouting from the crowd. Three, one, two, all over the place. Everybody is screaming. These outside voices have affected the way that they are thinking, the way that they're perceiving, the way that they're seeing. They may even know what the right one is in their heart, but because everybody else is hollering, the outside voice distracts them. Do you realize that you and I have an enemy? You and I are in a spiritual warfare. In the scripture, we learn that that is Satan. As we think about Satan, think about the things that he is. He's a liar. He's an accuser of the brethren. He's a lion seeking to devour. He's a thief. He's a stealer. He's a, a killer. He's a destroyer. And I wonder this morning, how many times is it the strategy of our enemy to put so many loud voices outside of our heads that we can't even think. We're being bombarded with so much noises that we're just standing there dumbfounded, not even thinking about what we're taking in to our minds, not even registering the messages that are standing there. And so as believers, as Christians, because of these outside voices, we go throughout the world just listening to all these different voices. And it kind of leaves us just standing there and they're going, ugh. Because there's so many of these outside voices. This morning as we continue to study voices, we're thinking about those outside voices. Voices, whether you realize it or not, you are being bombarded by outside voices all the time. And the writer of Psalm actually breaks these voices down for us, actually allows us to understand these different voices a little bit better. Take a look at Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. In Psalm chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, Blessed. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth in its fruits in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper." Now understand, because you and I are bombarded by these outside voices screaming at us 
all the time, you and I must be aware where we stand, where we walk, where we sit, and where we delight. Before we study our passage this morning, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. God, I pray that today we would be able to see the outside voices that shout at us. Father, I take, pray that we would take seriously where we stand, where we walk, where we sit, where we delight in our lives. God, help us to recognize those outside voices so that we can dismiss them, so that we can focus solely on you and your word. Father, we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So because of the outside voices, you and I need to consider where we walk. Consider where we walk. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. This word blessed, the word blessed right there in that passage, it means happy. It means to be fortunate. It means to be blissful. The understanding of blessed is this. No wonder what, no matter what my circumstances or situations are, I can still be joyful. I can still have peace because I'm blessed. I'm walking in a way that brings about blessing in my life. When we are blessed, we're facing difficult situations on the outside, but there's an inner contentment within us. And so the psalmist is saying, if you want to be blessed, if you want to have inner peace, if you want to have inner happiness, here's what you need to do. You need to consider, first of all, where you walk. Psalm 1, blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now make sure you note something here. The writer of Psalms is not saying to us, blessed are those who do not walk with the ungodly. Do you catch that? The writer of Psalms is not saying, blessed are you if you do not walk with the ungodly. He said, blessed are you who walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know why that's important for us to catch? Because you may not be walking with ungodly people, but yet you may be hearing ungodly counsel in walking in ungodly counsel. You don't have to walk with ungodly people to hear ungodly counsel and be walking in ungodly counsel. The ungodly counsel, what is that? Ungodly counsel is the advice. It's the viewpoints. It's the ideologies, it's the mantras, it's the advertising, it's the entertainment, it's the consultation of people who do not care about God or his word. To walk is to go, it's to follow in the direction of ungodly counsel. I pray you understand that constantly as a believer... In a world where you have an enemy that is seeking to devour, there's outside voices that is giving you ungodly counsel, calling you to walk in that ungodly counsel. Whether you recognize it or not, it is there. You are being bombarded all the time. Let me just give you some examples. How we think or we hear all these ungodly counsels, and we don't even really register them to see them as ungodly counsel. Some application in our culture. Are you stressed out about your finances? Come play the loosest slots in all of Kansas City. That's ungodly counsel. God's word says work, save. But ungodly culture says play those loosest slots. Are you stressed out, overworked, and tired of life? Godly counsel says, hey, there's a drink, there's a smoke, there's a drug, there's a substance for that. You don't have to live in those places. 
Someone does you wrong, hurts you, sin against you. Ungodly says, ungodly counsel says, seek revenge. Give it back to them. Sue their pants off. Smear their name all over the place. You feel abandoned or you feel empty inside? Go to your social media and make a post about what you're doing. And that way, everybody else that looks at your post can feel empty and abandoned on the inside as well. And that way, you can let your feelings be dictated by whether or not somebody likes it or dislikes it or doesn't comment at all. And so you get in this trap of ungodly cancel that when I feel like I'm abandoned or I'm forgotten, then I go to this social media platform and I try to find my significance on who likes my post and what I'm doing and where I'm at. And then I walk away and I'm depressed still because somebody else is doing something cooler somewhere else that I'm not getting involved in. Ungodly counsel. Ungodly counsel says, hey, you feel like you're all alone. You feel isolated. Ungodly counsel says, hey, call this number, enter this chat room, click this website, and you can forget all about your loneliness. And you can have a fake intimacy, if we can even call it that. That's what ungodly counsel. Every one of us can relate to something this week in one of those areas or avenues where we were tempted by the voices on the outside calling us to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. We could go on and on with those pictures this morning, but you're getting the idea. And isn't it interesting that Scripture tells us not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but it also gives us information that tells us walk in the counsel of the godly. Look at Proverbs 13.20. Proverbs 13.20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. So as we see Psalms 1 says, Don't walk in the counsel of the godly. Proverbs 13 says, Find some godly people that will speak truth into your life and walk in the wisdom counsel of God's word. Find those people, find those individuals, and begin to walk with them in life. As the world is bombarding us with outside cancel, we need to be aware where we walk. You need to be aware what you're listening to. What is that message? Recognize that ungodly counsel. Right as we were listening to the, uh, the bumper video right before the preaching, I looked over at Brian and said, man, that is so obnoxious. And he said, that's what we were going for. <laughs> Here's my prayer. This week as you go through life and you hear ungodly counsel, you'll just say, that is so obnoxious. It is sad that the world says that if I'm going to be blessed, if I'm going to be happy, that I have to walk in those things, in those counsels. And we begin to hear those voices for what they are. They're the lies of an enemy. So as we are bombarded with a message from the outside, we need to make sure we know where we are standing or where we're walking. Because of the out voice, outside voices, we must consider where we walk. We must also consider where we stand. Where are you standing? Look at Psalms 1.1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners. If you want to have a blessed life, get out of the path of sinners. We know what path is, right? A path is a place that somebody travels, that somebody goes back and forth on. It may be a path from one place to another place, from point A to point B. We know what a path is. 
And so as we know what a path is, the psalmist is giving the picture of a sinner who is going back and forth and sinning, and he's giving the counsel of this. Don't go stand in the path of sinners. In other words, don't watch the sinner go back and forth, back and forth. Because if you stand in the path of sinners, look what's going to happen to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. If I stand in the path of sinners, and I just stand and I watch sinners go from point A to point B, from point B to point A, long enough, you know what I'm going to start seeing? First of all, I'm going to start seeing their ungodly counsel. I'm going to see how they live life and how they deal with issues. And as I watch them go through, I then get sucked into being in the counsel of the ungodly. And now I'm watching them go from point A to point B, and it begins to corrupt my behavior. What Scripture's teaching us there is you can't stand in the path of sinners very long without being drawn into the path of sinners. You will find yourself walking on that same path back and forth. It will affect your behavior. Now, what's interesting is this to me. The psalmist writes in Psalm 1, do not stand in the path of sinners. Here's how tricky our enemy is. We can stand in the path of sinners without ever leaving our homes. We can stand in the path of sinners right here this morning. Just pull up our handheld device, our phone. And bam, there it is. We're right in the path of sinners. All we got to do is flip on our television set. There we are, right in the path of sinners. The writer of Psalm is warning us, you cannot stand and watch sinners without being drawn into it. How many of you ever had a mom that said this? Show me your friends and I'll show you your... Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Let's expand that for our culture. Show me your internet browser history. Show me your entertainment, and I'll show you your future. Show me what you spend your time on. Show me what you spend your money on, and I will begin to be able to predict for you what your future is giving you because you are walking in the path of sinners. You are, I'm sorry, you are standing in the path of sinners, and as you stand in the path of sinners, you're hearing the ungodly counsel, and it won't be before long till you are actually walking in that same way. And it amazes me whenever, as I was a youth pastor, we would talk on this, talk on this, and talk on this, and somehow we began to believe that when we turned 18, we no longer needed to listen to that counsel. But understand, you are being bombarded with that message. That outside voice says, come stand with us in the counsel of the ungodly. Understand, this passage isn't telling us to isolate ourselves and not to minister and pray and to love on those that are walking that path. We still have that responsibility to love them, to invite them to stand on the path of righteousness. Righteousness. But understand, if we look at the scriptures and we begin to see, if I stand in the path of sinners, I will eventually go the way of the path of the sinner. Then the other has to be true as well, right? If I stand in the path of those who are pursuing righteousness, pursuing holiness, then I will be encouraged to follow in the path of righteousness. I will be encouraged to walk in the path of, of holiness. Look at Proverbs 20, 17, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance 
of his friends. Who are you standing next to? What are you standing next to? What's on your handheld device? What's on your phone? What's on your television? Are there things that speak of righteousness and holiness, daily devotions on there? Again, they'll predict the path that you're headed on. What is it that you are standing next to? Because of the outside voices, we need to be aware where we walk. We need to be aware of where we stand. And thirdly, we need to consider where we sit. Consider where you sit. Psalms 1.1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Scornful. We don't use that word very much, do we? And if we were to look at other translations, we would see that that word scornful is, might be interpreted or uh, put down as scoffer or a mocker. When was the last time you called somebody scornful or a scoffer or a mocker? Probably hadn't been very often, right? So what does those words mean? All those words, if you look at that word in the, in the Greek language, it is the word anateso, which is a military term that means to rage battle against. So when you look in the scripture and you see scornful, scoffer, or mocker, it's somebody who is ready for a fight. It's a military term. When you see scornful, mocker, or, or uh, sinful, scornful, mocker, understand that they're saying, I am somebody who is looking to oppose. I am looking for a battle. I'm looking for a war. It means someone who opposes someone with a psychological attitude and a corresponding behavior. So it's actions and it's also an attitude. It means to be an enemy or to resist with assembled forces. So who are the scornful in Psalms 1-1? They're the ones who are enemies of God. They laugh at God's laws. They ridicule those who live to seek and honor God. They criticize God's word. They tear it apart. They say it's not valuable for your life. The scornful love to sit and criticize the people of God and the things of God. They are actually in battle against everything of righteousness, of holiness, of God, of you living out your life in godliness. It's going to mock it. It's going to laugh at it. So the seat of the scoffer refers to the assembly or the place where men gather to reinforce their godless philosophies. Again, the psalmist could not have known our day and time any better when he says that. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Where do we find the seat of the scornful? I can promise you this, you can find them in your colleges and seminaries. You can find the seat of the scornful on your daily news. You can find the seat of the scornful on your TikTok, your Snapchat, your Facebook, whatever media outlet you have in your life, you will find someone who is scornful, someone who is in opposition of what God wants to see happen on this earth. You'll find the seat of the scornful. The psalmist would have never known that you and I could actually sit down on our couch, our chair, and sit with the scornful and read the things that mock the word of God, that mock the things that God's word says, and be opposed to that and taking action against those things in our lives. Do you sit at the seat 
of the scornful. Those who scoff at God love to rejoice and to push their agendas and their prejudices. It's interesting, as you study through the book of Proverbs, you begin to see the characteristics of the the scornful, the mocker, or the scoffer. Here's some key things that you'll learn about the scoffer or the scorner. Scorners may seek wisdom, but cannot find it. You ever listen to the news and hear their arguments on some of the things that they say about the world? You just sit there like, how do they come up with that? Proverbs says they claim to be wise and they seek to be wise, but they'll never find it. Scorners refuse to learn from rebuke or mistakes. That's why it's hard for talk shows. You have somebody has a view over here on a certain issue and you have a guy over here that's speaking about the issue from God's word. This guy never listens to it because scoffers, scorners refuse to learn. Scorners are the source of strife and contention. Strife and contention. How many of you watched the the news lately and walked away and thought, this is a peaceful, great world to be in? How many of you walked out of watching the news and said, man, I am so grateful to be living in these days and times? You know why you don't have that? Because you're listening to the scornful in many cases. You're listening to the mocker. And what does Proverbs say? The scornful and the mocker are always trying to be a source of strife and contention. Scorners scorners resent correction. They cause trouble for those who try to show them the truth. Scorners are arrogant and haughty. When was the last time you seen a scorner, scorner that was humble and meek and demonstrated the attitudes of Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount. Scorners are arrogant and haughty. Scorners don't benefit from severe consequences. Even when they look at the the decisions that they're making and everything is crumbling around them, scorners sit back and say, maybe we should just do some more of that. Maybe we should do more protests. Maybe we should do more rallies. Maybe we should cause more harm. They don't even learn benefit from severe consequences consequences. It's no wonder that Proverbs chapter 22 verse 24 says this, make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. What's it saying? If you sit around and you listen to the scorner, the scoffer, and the mocker long enough, what's going to happen is it's going to set a trap for your soul. You're going to be caught. That sounded just like a mousetrap, didn't it? It scared some of you. Yeah, now you're with me. The scorner, the mocker, it'll set a, a trap for your soul before you even realize you're there. Sit there long enough and it'll happen to you. Again, this doesn't mean we don't pray and share with a scoffer, but we don't sit and get comfortable with them. Listen to the commitment of the psalmist in Psalm 26, verse 4. I have not sat with the idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with the hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. Make a covenant, what you're watching, what you're listening to, not to sit with the mockers. Are you sitting with people and things that are encouraging and strengthening your faith? Or are you sitting with scoffers, mockers, the scornful, 
Who is it that you are sitting with? Remember in ancient Israel, to sit with somebody means to have fellowship with them. If I sat with somebody, you would believe that I had a relationship with them, that I had a union with them, that I agreed with them. We are not that much different in our culture and time, right? If you walk into Wendy's and I'm sitting down and I'm having a hamburger with Chris, what are you probably going to assume? Chris and I are friends. And that's, what it's, that's why they use the language of sitting with the scoffers there. Don't be friends with the scoffer or the mocker because they will affect your thinking. Now, in case you didn't catch this, Psalms 1 is actually showing a progression. It's not just stating three different ideas or concepts. It's actually stating a progression. Consider the progression here. First, the man is walking down the counsel of the ungodly. Begin to hear the counsel of the ungodly, begin to listen a little bit, begins to walk in that counsel of the ungodly. As he's walking in the counsel of the ungodly, he stops to hang out with the sinner to watch the sinner going back and forth. He gets sucked into going back and forth with the, with the sinner. As he's going and sitting back and forth with the sinner, all of a sudden, one day, he finds himself sitting there mocking and laughing at the things of God. How many of you have testimonies? Or know of testimonies that says this. I was following God for a while, but I started hanging out with the wrong crowd. I started doing the wrong things. How many of you know testimonies of people where you've said, you know, they used to be faithful in church. They were serving the Lord. They had a fire for the word of God. But something happened. I'll tell you what happened. Listen, they listened to the outside voices that were around them. And before they found it, they started listening to the counsel of the ungodly. As they listened to the counsel of the ungodly, they began to walk in the way of the sinner. And as they walked in the way of the sinner, one day they found themselves sitting in the seat of the scornful. And you and I are going, how in the world did that happen? God's word tells us exactly how that happened. And if you and I continue to listen to the outside voices that scream at us, bombard us day in and day out, we will find ourselves in that very same place someday asking the question, when did I stop going to church? When did my fire for God begin to dwindle? When did I stop caring about lost souls? When did I stop reading God's word? Because we are lamb blasted by these voices, we need to know, we need to think about where we walk, where we stand, and where we sit. But more importantly, we need to consider where we delight. This is the most important part. Consider where you delight. Because if you delight in the right places, you don't have to worry about those others. Because if you delight in the right things, you'll have a satisfaction in your soul. You'll recognize that you're blessed. Consider where you delight. Psalm chapter 1, verse 2. Blessed is the man who doesn't do those things, but blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. The blessed man, the happy man, where does he delight? He delights in the word of God. 
He takes the word of God and he pushes all those outside voices away from his life. And he takes this and he begins to delight in God's word. It becomes a satisfaction to his soul. Delight means to have a high degree of gratification or satisfaction of mind. Something that gives you pleasure. Hope you realize that the word of God is an acquired taste. I hope that helps your spiritual walk this morning. The word of God is an acquired taste. You have the world land blasting you with voices that you've heard from the earliest of age. Some of you have never even got an appetite for the word of God. And here's the thing. The more that you get into word of God, the more it becomes satisfaction. The more it becomes gratification. The more it brings pleasure to your soul. Understand, the more that you get in the word of God, how can it not be satisfaction and gratification for your soul? How could it not bring pleasure to you when you open up God's word and says that the God of the universe wants to have a relationship with you? Why would the God of the universe want to have a relationship with you? Because he's loving, gracious, and kind. That ought to bring a satisfaction to your soul. When you begin to read that that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, that should bring a gratification to your soul. That ought to just take your innermost being and say, man, I am going to eat on that for a little bit. When you begin to read and study God's word and says, you no longer have to be a slave to those substances, that you no longer have to be a slave to your sin, but Jesus has set you free. You no longer have to be a slave to those things for the son of man has set you free. Man, that ought to be just like soul food where, man, that is so, I I, got to have more, I got to have more of that. Like you just cannot get enough. When you really get into the word of God, when you begin to feast on it, you begin to get an acquired taste for it. And when you begin to get acquired taste for it, you're going to find yourself like, man, I, I, I need more of that. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. That was good. Like you just get, it's like a buffet. Like I'm going, I'm going to go back. Yeah, I, I first started out, it was like one verse and a 20 minute story. Man, now I want 20 minutes of the word. I don't even care about the story in my devotional life because the word of God is an acquired taste. Once you get into it, you'll begin to desire more and more of it because it will bring gratification, satisfaction, pleasure to the soul. Now, not only does the blessed man delight in the law of God, he meditates on it day and night. He meditates on it day and night. It's interesting that this word for meditate is actually the word hagah, which is it's like a whisper sound. If you were like to hear it, you would think of a whispering sound. The word hagah, which means to utter or groan. So it's the image of somebody taking the word of God and uttering it and growing on, groaning on it day and night. It means I don't just read something for a few minutes in the morning and then I walk away for it. No, it's to meditate on it means this. I take it, I read it, and as I read it, all throughout the day, it's in my mind. I'm listening to it because I'm uttering it or I'm groaning on it. And I'm mulling it over. What does that really mean? I'm allowing that to begin to saturate my mind. The word saturate. I'm allowing the word of God to saturate my mind. Anybody, I know you guys like to barbecue. There's several of you do. And a lot of times when you barbecue, what do you do with that meat? You take that meat and you 
you marinate it. Now I'm t- I got more heads nodding on marinate than I did on satis- that the Word of God is a d- acquired taste. I start talking about marinate, everybody starts listening. So marinate, you, this is something that is resonating with the audience this morning. The word marinate, or the idea of marinating, means this, that I put my meat in there, and these juices are going in the meat, and the meat soaks it up. Can you imagine if you took that meat out and said, you know what, I, I really don't want that marinade in any- anymore? You couldn't rinse it out, could you? The Word of God marinating in your mind to the point where you couldn't take it out if you tried. Marinating, meditating on it to the point that you are going through your day and you're whispering it to yourself. What does it mean when Jesus says, if the Son of Man set you free, you're free indeed. If the Son of Man sets me free, I'm free indeed. Can you imagine if you took that throughout your whole day and you thought about the verse, how it would begin to transform your heart and your mind? And if you're whispering the Word of God throughout the day, guess what you're not listening to? The outside voices. You're meditating on the Word of God. You're allowing it to become a part of who you are, that if somebody were to try to come and separate that and take that out of you, it would be impossible to do it. Because you have delighted on it and you have meditated on it day and night and it's bringing gratification, satisfaction, and pleasure. Let me encourage you this morning. If you don't have a daily reading plan, I want to encourage you, set your timer for five minutes for the next 30 days. This is a challenge. For the next 30 days, for five minutes, take your Bible and read the Gospel of Mark. Just five minutes. Pray, God, help me to understand this. Read for five minutes. God, help me to apply this. And then think about it throughout your day. See if it doesn't bring a gratification to your soul. Begin to see if it doesn't affect your mood, your mentality, the way that you operate throughout your day-to-day life. By taking the Word of God and allowing it to be a part of who you are, bringing that gratification, satisfaction, and pleasure in your life. And I would encourage you to do this. If you're one of those that say, I've never had a quiet time. I've never spent time in the Word of God. I would encourage you to find somebody and say, hey, I'm taking that Mark challenge thingy majig. You want to talk about it? Maybe as a family, you just say, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to set a timer for five minutes and we're going to read the Gospel of Mark. And then you're going to begin to have gospel conversations. Allow it to begin to bring that gratification satisfaction, that pleasure to your soul. And I'll say this, if, I, I just want to forewarn you on this. After 30 days, you're not going to want to set a timer anymore. The Word of God is going to begin to have such an impact in your life that you're going to be there like, we're not, we're not keeping a clock on this. I'm going to stay in it. I want to hear what God's Word speaks to me and allow it to transform your life. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. This morning, we're going to have a time of invitation. Anytime I preach, I give an invitation because the invitation is this. Invitation is inviting you to respond to how God's working in your life. And it may be for some of you this morning as God is working in your life and he begins to say, watch where you stand, where you sit, and where you walk. It may mean that you just need to step away from the things in your life. 
that are screaming into your life. For some of you, it's just going to be simply this, making that commitment for the next 30 days. I'm going to read the Bible for five minutes a day and see what God begins to do in my life. See what God is doing, what God wants to transform in me. For others this morning, I want you to understand it. It's very difficult to understand the Word of God if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And if nobody has ever spoke to you about having a relationship with Jesus, I want you to understand that God created you and designed you to have a relationship with Him. And because of sin, sin separates you from that relationship with Him. And because you're separated from Him, God had to do something, or God chose to do something. He didn't have to. He chose to do something. He sent His Son to die on a cross. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And that everlasting life, you'll begin, as you begin that walk with him, you'll begin to realize that that everlasting life is an abundant life because it's a life in Christ. You're living the way that you were created and designed to live. So if you never asked Jesus to be Savior and Lord of your life, and you have more questions about that personal relationship, Brian will be down here for just a few moments this morning. You can just walk up to him and say, I want to know more about that relationship. For others of you this morning, it made me making that commitment five minutes a day for the next 30 days to see what God's word does in my life and in my heart. I'm going to ask us to stand because we want to give this time to the Lord. We're inviting him, inviting him to speak to us so that we can respond. Invitation, inviting God to speak to us so that we can respond in obedience to him. Father, we come this morning. And Father, we know that there are outside voices everywhere we go that bombard us. And today, God, I pray that the voice that we hear is your voice from your word that says we want to live a blessed life with a relationship with you, studying and being in your word, allowing it to transform who we are. God, that we would be unidentifiable in the next year because we've been marinating in the word of God. We thank you. We praise you and give this time for you to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.